So good to have you all in our penultimate meeting. We will meet one more time uh, next week and then we will be done for the semester. And um, you all can be looking forward to some announcements from us as to uh, what we'll be offering in the spring. Um, Dr. Horner will offer the second half of his Gospels class, so that will be ongoing. And there's a, a very good chance that I'll be teaching a class on uh, Ivan Illich, who was a very interesting uh, thinker of the last century, uh, actually died in 2002. And uh, I won't uh, say too much more about that now, but um, that looks what, like what I'll be offering, and I'm actually quite looking forward to that. So I wanted to start today in a very weird place, both like literally and then also with respect to the content of the class and just in general. Um, and, and this is a very last minute um, sort of audible that I'm calling, and I thought it might be worth uh, just a moment's discussion. Uh, so it re does require, however, that um, you are familiar with the fact that over the weekend uh, there was a press conference given at uh, Four Seasons Landscaping. Um, and so it doesn't require any kind of political posturing uh, or, or side taking here, but what appears to have happened is that there, there was an effort to uh, book the Four Seasons Hotel um, in Philadelphia as a site for a press conference um, uh, for the president's lawyers. Uh, someone accidentally booked Four Seasons Landscaping and they kind of had to go with it. So it is very comical, I think, whatever side one finds themselves on. Uh, so I, I, that's the background um, in itself, sort of interesting. That leads me then to a video uh, that I found online on Twitter. Um, and I'm gonna share my screen here if I can manage it, okay. So you're saying they booked their press conference in front of the landscaping place. Yeah, so right. In front of the hotel. Exactly. So it was like a dive between a crematorium and a sex toy shop, something, pardon the <laughs> reference. But it's, um, it was, yeah, it's really, somebody tweeted that, you know, the, the writers really outdid themselves um, in, in kind of creating this 2020 climax. So I, ah, okay, here we go. All right, so I, I've done it. Sorry for the delay. So here's, this is the, the video though, because here's what you're about to see. So that uh, location was generated in, on a virtual reality platform. And so this is the, the, the thing that I encountered was a- I was just browsing my friends list. A virtual reality version of this um, site. And I'll stop it there. And it's being populated by furries uh, and either you know or you don't and so i'm not even going to bother but and so this is this was a, a such a bizarre I'm, i mean maybe i'm showing my age maybe this is just you look at this and you're like oh this is perfectly normal of course um but it, it's a um it's such a bizarre thing right and, and, and i thought it was interesting with regards to to the to our topic of place and, and again i have nowhere in particular to go with this except to sort of show you this and maybe talk about it for a little bit right so the um, the layers of this are that one in theory this is a real place right so this is the facade you'll notice the little speakers that were set up for the press conference the the trump uh posters that were set up back there um so it's, it's in theory a real place for the purposes of this uh it's vr chat which is a uh, an online platform where you can 
get on and sort of interact with people um, in virtual reality. And so it's, it's a, a mock-up of the place in this virtual reality realm. And then you have all of these people that are congregating here um, through their through this platform on their virtual with their virtual reality reality goggles, uh, and the fact that they are sort of you know in furry getup is an altogether added wrinkle to this. But but still the idea that they are here from various places in this virtual space, which is a representation of a real space that also is a real space that is even apart from this has become part of a uh, the the it's been hyper mediated right by its being swallowed up into the campaign and the whole sort of um, media environment that generates what the campaign is. Like I said, I, I had nowhere in particular uh, to go with. I'm going to turn the volume down on this because what you hear is people sort of talking. Um, people can interact here through this and so they're, they're conversing with each other and so this is just sort of the video of um, from one person's perspective of, of this, um, this location. There you have it. If you want, I can send you a link to it if you want to watch longer. Uh, it, but I'm going to get us back to our, our normal screen here. I, I really want to just say thoughts, comments. Um, to what do you all, do any of you have sort of any experience in these virtual reality platforms? Um, it does suggest a sort of blurring of, of place and temporality that I think is interesting. It obviously raises this question again about where is this happening? The fact that it has a connection to a real place, but but has virtualized it, um, is interesting. And then I, you know, I do wonder the degree to which these are are popular spaces, and to which they become, uh, for many people, maybe de default spaces of socialization. Right? That you socialize on these spaces, in these spaces. I'm not even sure what the right uh, preposition is, but that we generate worlds that are sort of mock-ups of this quote-unquote real world in order to inhabit in these. So it's almost like we're, we're, we create a world to meet in to overcome the fact that we cannot meet perhaps in the real world. So all of this, again, I have no judgments to pass and I have no uh, really you know, insightful takes on this at the moment, but just noting it as a curious phenomenon. And if nobody has anything else to say about that, I am happy to move on to the next thing. Um, well, first, that's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> that's not really a well-developed thought. Um, I just think it's part of this is like then right as you know, as we do like group calls or like for me, one of the bigger ways it's not virtual reality, but just like playing video games online with yeah. a friend. Right. Um, and how that becomes like a social because one thing is like it's bonding because you're doing something together you're like seeking purpose whatever it is mm -hmm. um, but you're also talking and I don't know it just strikes me that part of the problem is obviously there is there's something to there's something very weighty to being in a place especially with other people in terms of socializing and when I, when I've tried to just not do that, like be in the same place together thing, and just try to you know like uh, meet I don't know loneliness or like my social needs right through these imperfect mediums, I think that's one of the biggest problems with 
And I know, right, I'm pretty sure I've heard you say that, Mike. But just the special, like, thing about my life, that's kind of pretty applicable. So, does that make sense? Not, not seeking out, like, physical spaces with people to socialize is not a good thing. And yeah. it's very easily yeah. going to be a lot harder now. Right. Because, you know, reality, I mean, it's pretty cool. I've done the little, like, Beat Saber thing. Interesting, I don't yeah. know if you all know that, but, like, you put on the goggles and, like, these boxes are flying at you and you have to whack them with your lightsabers. Yeah. Right, and, and I think as the technology becomes more sophisticated, um, what it is able, the kind of world it's able to sustain will become more engaging, uh, more immersive. Um, but that, that, that displacement, see, yeah, that you're pointing to where you, you socialize in these spaces uh, instead of in physical spaces or in, in, and it's not even, well, yeah, it's the physicality of the space, but also the presence, the mutual presence of the body, I think, you know, obviously is important there also. Um, and the, um, the video game phenomena, the online gaming phenomena, I think is, um, you know, certainly a, a very similar sort of, very similar sort of dynamic. Uh, it, it lacks the weirdness of, you know, in some respects of, of this particular example that I just showed you. But, um, but it's just, it is the same sort of thing, right? A virtual space where people gather in order to socialize. Um, and again, it's not, with so many of these things, I find myself thinking, it's not that one case of it is, it's not like one wants to say, well, it's wrong for people to do this. But at the same time, you know, so I think we, we tend to look for binary answers, right? Bad or good, yes or no. And so, you know, people want to say, well, you know, this thing, this practice is, is bad or it's good. And I think more often the case is, is much more, it's complicated. It's, it's neither in that very simple way, bad or good, but it's uh, consequential, right? So if someone, for whatever reason, al always chooses to socialize in these spaces or, or has to, right? Maybe it doesn't choose to, you know, for whatever reason has to, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily say what they're doing is, is wrong, but I would say that what they're doing has consequences, not all of which maybe would be sort of conducive to to human flourishing, right? To their, their flourishing as the sort of creatures that they are. There's something I've been chewing on here for, for quite a while, and, and it has to do with our, um, our communion with God. Mm -hmm. I mean, very few humans in, in history have ever bodily uh, had a communication with our, our Lord. So all of our contact with God the Father, and God the Spirit, and now God the Son is in, in a sense a virtual contact. And when we go to church, we use uh, uh, musical aids and maybe uh, incense and uh, icons and pictures and stories to make contact with with our God, uh, and, and we've never, none of us have ever had uh, a personal encounter with the bodily uh, form of our, our God. It, it, I think so much of it depends on how we, how imaginative we can be with that, and uh, and not uh, 
going places that now that we're able to create a virtual reality such as this Zoom call, um, I know these things are real because I've met all of you. I know the places that are in the background and I know where I am. Mm -hmm. And I can use my imagination to make this more real than it might seem on the screen. Uh, but th this is not, it, it's a hard thing to, to uh, denigrate because it is a real thing. We just don't have the capacity to, to uh, touch uh, these, these elements of our faith mm -hmm. in ways that we do one another and our, our environment. I mean, that's an interesting thought um, to, to draw this analogy, as I think you're doing, Tim, between the, the, the virtual, we use the word virtual nature of you know, the kind of communication that we're undertaking right now um, and what maybe what we might think of as sort of the virtual relationship with with a, a God who is not um, at least certainly not as as he would ha as he would have appeared in the second person of the Trinity incarnate right you know you have a case there of, of God in the flesh with us you know God yeah. with us in a very literal way um, I mean that's a very interesting thought because then you begin to think about well what is it you know we think of the various ways in which God is present um, and so in faith we confess that you know it is one of his qualities that he is present everywhere um, the, uh, biblical tradition certainly in the old covenant leads us to conclude that there is a, a special relationship between the presence of God and, and particular places in history um, like Mount Sinai or the tabernacle or the temple and then clearly of course then in the second person of the Trinity when we are in, in relation with God, when we are communing with God, uh, where are we, right? That's an interesting question. Or even to think of something like, um, you know, specific cases of uh, Isaiah in the temple and his, his uh, being seemingly stationary but transported, right? To be, or, or maybe it's a case of, of being able, you know, sometimes I've, I've thought, the thought is not original to me, but that the distinction is not between uh, the, the distinction between the spiritual realm, if we want to call it that, and the space we inhabit is not a here and a there, but rather a visible and an invisible. And so that it's you know, realities layered over one another. So that very often the, the language of revelation is the language of being able to see, uh, of, dis of, 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 of apocalypse, right? Of, of uh, something disclosing itself to us. I think of, again, in the, in the Old uh, Testament, uh, the story of Elijah and his servant and how he is made to see, you know, Elijah prays that he would see uh, the heavenly hosts that are protecting him, right? So it's a reality that is there, but for whatever reason sort of inaccessible uh, to our ordinary sense organs. Um, so all of this is just me sort of thinking, yeah, this is a really interesting analogy to kind of uh, to think through in light of this kind of conversation. Um, or even to think of, of raising the question, where are we when we pray? Um, to the degree that we are, that we would say that we are, in fact, uh, you know, in prayer communing with God. Um, or even Calvin's language about the Lord's Supper. Um, say, you know, and for, for Calvin, 
it's not that Christ is is in the element, but is that through that uh, sacrament we are brought to the presence of Christ, or brought into the presence of Christ. Um, so yeah, that's 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 a really interesting observation. Somehow I think the the idea. So I think the the interesting thing is there to think of it in terms of of presence. And then here, in the, in terms of our virtual presence together. So, Mike. Yeah. By by virtual, are we saying that's the same as immaterial? Yeah, I mean that's a good question. That's what I think we probably would need to do is to clarify what we mean by virtual. Um, and part of that's just like the connotation for me is just like it's always about technology. Yes. So like right. as as Tim was talking, it's like our relationship with God is immaterial, and that. Can, kind of virtual right although it is interesting because Tim raised this question of certain um, technologies that mediate our relationship with God and that varies by tradition of course right um, but in the Orthodox tradition the you know the icon does in fact mediate your relationship with God um, or um, even sort of the materiality of a cathedral that is intended to generate uh, a sense of the holy, right? An experience of the holy. Um, for Protestants, um, the, the, the materiality of the book, right? The, of, of scriptures, um, or even a stained glass window. Um, so that there are these uh, materi material artifacts that, depending on your tradition, in one way or another, sort of mediate this relationship, right? The relic. Uh, which mediates mediate the power of God, the presence of God, um, the rosary as an aid to prayer, a material aid to prayer. Um, I was thinking a communion. while. What's that? Communion. Yeah, communion. Right, the elements themselves. Right, um, and and I was thinking too. There was back in 2012 or thereabouts. Um, uh, there, there was a, a world, uh, the Catholic Church has a World Youth Day or, that they host and it's a fairly big affair and it was in Brazil and it was notable because um, uh, the Pope had granted, would grant indulgences to those who could participate even if only virtually uh, and I think that was the first time that that had happened so if you couldn't sort of make the, I think it was, it was happening in Rio de Janeiro or somewhere in Brazil um, but if you attended it virtually you could be granted uh, indulgences um, and I, I at the time took a moment to sort of reflect on on the stations of the cross so if you're familiar with the, the Catholic Church a Catholic Church uh, somewhere usually either inside or outside of the church is that they're the stations of the cross that you can sort of walk through these stations to mem memorialize different events um, in the passion of Christ from his trial all the way through his crucifixion to his uh, burial and Initially, that was conceived of as a kind of virtual pilgrimage in the Middle Ages. Uh, for those who could not make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land, this was a kind of, of substitute. Um, and so there are, there are, you know, I've always thought that, that um, uh, and I can't speak for, for other religious traditions, but that within the Christian tradition, there are, there are lots of interesting resources with which we can, um, or tools or categories, or experiences that, that we can bring to bear to our understanding of the digital realm, as odd as that may seem, uh, for this for the for the reasons that, that I've you know, just been sort of highlighting here. Um, 
Yeah, and again, I don't have a neat little way of tying all of this up, except to say that these are, yeah, these are very interesting observations where, where th this question of materiality and presence and place um, certainly um, deepens and adds yet another layer of reflection to, to, this, to this question. Yeah. I sometimes wonder that in the fall we lost some uh, abilities to sense the spiritual world. Yeah. Now we rely on imagination, maybe intuition, mm. uh, and that necess necessitates some faith that there are things that we cannot uh, perceive in a way that we can touch and feel and smell uh, the way we do the rest of creation now. And perhaps that's the only reason why we come to God in faith, is there's no other way to get there. Mm -hmm. Faith almost becomes a kind of a sense organ. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And and I'd certainly have to think about that. I mean, there, I, there's something plausible about that idea that it is part of the fall that we lose a kind of uh, a way of, a mode of experiencing the divine or the spiritual. Part of, I, mean, you know, I also want to maybe think in terms of the fact that even in our good pre-fallen material state there was always still a, a, a telos or a consummation to which we would have been brought um, and so we think about the in, what Paul calls or the incorruptible body uh, it is a body but it is a different it, it's a body that's not quite the same as the one we inhabit at least that's yes. what you know seems to be suggested there um, and that it may have a capacity to ex experience uh, aspects of what we now sort of think of as immaterial reality in, in, in a different or, or unique way. Um, all of this, of course, becomes uh, extremely speculative. Um, but, um, yeah, but, but certainly interesting to, to think along those lines, yeah. A lot of this, uh, what y'all were just saying, reminds me of uh, a few weeks ago when we were talking about the connection between place and memory and, you know, you think a lot about the Psalms and a lot of all of Scripture, like the call to remember, remember mm -hmm. what God has done, remember uh, your baptism, mm -hmm. remember this. Um, and I think a lot about place, not just sort of in uh, in a sanctuary, but kind of like you were saying. I know Michael and I both sort of spent a lot of time at uh, Christian summer camps working, and that's probably a place where it really, you know, it's for me to go back to think about. You know, not that God is sort of working in one place more than the other necessarily, but, but just that's especially where it was, you felt that real sort of tug or you felt that real yeah. uh, connection between the environment that you were in, um, the people you, you met and got to know, uh, and, you know, the, the workings of, of God through, this, through the Spirit and things mm -hmm. like that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's kind of, and then like you were saying, some of the things of um, the different, you know, or when you take communion um, in church, very different than sort of, I don't know how you would do virtual order or digital communion. Yeah, right. But, but being in the congregation, seeing the congregation, I know that's one thing our, um, our church is sort of, you know, when we take communion at our seats now rather than walking mm -hmm. uh, up to a shared table, um, and that's very different. and. I think that's kind of one of my favorite parts of, of seeing communion is seeing the body, you know, everyone yeah. come together, their 
families. And, um, that's something that's kind of been altered, at least in this recent season. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's a very good point because I think, you know, COVID has raised all of these theological questions, right? How do you live the fullness of the, of the, of the life of the Christian community uh, without being mutually present to one another? Uh, is it, you know, um, and, and this is not that we have to settle this here, but right, the questions that came up were, you know, do, do you have a legitimate sacrament if you're simply inviting people to, you know, find a, you know, a loaf of bread at home and break it simultaneously with those who are in the church sanctuary? Um, and again, this will vary, you know, how you feel about that will vary to a large degree depending on whether you're in a sort of high church, high sacramental uh, theology body like like uh, Catholic Church or an Orthodox Church or whether you're sort of in a low church low sacramental theology body like uh, just you know, non-denominational evangelical church but even there there's a lot of variety but yes yeah this, this time that has uh, had such a an impact on how we relate to place and the places that we are sort of sequestered to and how we experience place together in a in in a, an explicitly religious setting has raised you know a lot of you know interesting questions, but that that connection that you suggested between place and your and one's own spiritual biography, uh, you know, I think is an important one, and and it, it, it's one that only makes sense again given the fact that this this foundational premise of this whole class is that our bodies matter, thus our relationship to place matter. We're not just minds experiencing abstract experiences. Um, and so our biography uh, is interrelated with, with place. Um, places become repositories of the self. Uh, as you were talking, I was thinking, uh, Madison, about um, how when Nathaniel comes to, to Jesus, Jesus is able to say to him, I saw you there under that fig tree as if that mattered, right? As if there was something spiritually significant for Nathaniel happening there at that moment, um, you know? And so it, it occurs to me that, you know, maybe that, that was a site of, um, of a unique spiritual experience for Nathaniel or a moment of prayer, something as simple as a moment of prayer that for Jesus to say, I saw you there, had this sort of remarkable quality that amazed Nathaniel. Um, and, and so that, yeah, you, you have these places that um, carry, convey, or sustain not just memories, but in cases, you know, profound or, or, or at least special uh, spiritual experiences or, or landmarks in one's spiritual journey. Have you heard the term thin places? Uh, I think this Irish use that term a lot, and I'm not sure I understand it completely, but I think it's uh, a location where the veil somehow is lifted and the ability to make spiritual connections is enhanced. And I think that, that like your summer camp might be a thin place in that regard. Going to a, a sanctuary might be a thin place where the, uh, huh. the uh, spiritual connections are are more easily achieved. Maybe it's uh, just the, the surroundings uh, enhance your or sanctify your imagination in a way that makes it easier for you to communicate with the, the uh, eternal. 
And that's interesting. I had not heard that phrase in that way, yeah. uh, using that way, a thin place. So as if the, did you even use this word, Tim, the veil is thinner there? Is that kind of maybe what the yeah, idea of right? Yeah, even lifted. So yeah. maybe that's what uh, uh, Isaiah experienced. Yeah, right. That's tongue burned. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, that is certainly interesting. And and I, I, I think, too, that, uh, you know, was talking about this recently in another setting, um, if we think about, uh, you know, we usually talk about revelation in terms of, of special and natural revelation or general revelation, and, and these are, at least in, in Protestant theology, what we sort of think about uh, as the, the two books of, of God's revelation, the two ways that he speaks to us. Um, you know, special revelation, of course, is, is God's revelation through the prophets and through dreams and through ultimately through scripture as it's collected for us now and and general revelation is the way that God speaks to us through his creation uh, and the way that Paul talks about the creation testifying to the power and wisdom of the creator or in the ways that the Psalms invite us to um, attend to how you know the um, the heavens declare the glory of God right this this sort of thing um, and so that when we think about this question of the spiritual ramifications of of, of place or, or of, of creation, I think we have to think along these lines, right? Um, are we are we cut? Do we cut ourselves off from this aspect of revelation, which I think tends to happen? So one of the things that I was going to you know talk about today, and and I wanted to use today a little bit to sort of just think again about some of the um, dynamics that we've been uh, thinking about throughout this class and, and make them a little more explicit. And one of them was this dynamic between the, the natural and the human-built environment. Uh, when we think about place, in other words, it, it occurred to me that there are various ways that we experience a place, there are various ways that we can think about a place being on a sort of spectrum between two poles. And one of those spectrums seems to me the, the, the spectrum between the natural and the human-built. And what I have in mind there is that you know, obviously you can, uh, on one end of the, of the spectrum, be sort of lost in the woods without any trace of, of, of human uh, presence, uh, without any, any indication of civilization, right? And on the other, um, on the other, you might think of a sort of a, a dense urban environment where everywhere you look, there is nothing but what human hands have fabricated, right? Although it occurs to me that you might even go further um, and that the, the virtual environment may be the extreme of the human-built environment, right? Um, and an, an environment that is so um, detached from the materiality, because even we might say, well, even the buildings are, are made of the stuff that God has made, right? Um, although, you know, one has to account, I guess, for synthetic materials, but you, you still have the building blocks, right? In the in the in the virtual realm, it's almost as if you're you're removed even from that, right? A further abstraction. Um, so where does where do we hear the you know where do we see the heavens declare the glory of God, or how do we perceive the power and glory and wisdom of the Creator in the natural world, if we have uh, in some cases created environments that seal us off from that world, right? Um, I've been struck in, in, in Dante how frequently Dante references the stars. Um, in fact, every one of the three major poems, the Inferno, the Purgatorio, and, and Paradiso, all end with the word stella, or the Italian word for stars. 
um, and how he, 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 in a recent passage we just read, refers to the stars as the lure that God uses to draw us to himself, right? To lift, to, to sort of lift our head from the earthly to the heavenly realm, and that the glory of the stars is one way that God does this. And, and of course, throughout history, the, you know, the, the stars have always been, you know, the, the, the stellar reality has always taken on almost religious uh, or metaphysical significance. Now, that may, does that only happen when we sort of uh, can perceive the stars in their unfiltered glory, as it were? Something that I suspect um, most of us have only rarely, if ever, seen. Right? What we are used to, um, even here in Gainesville, which relative to other places that I've lived has a little less light pollution, uh, but it's, it's, it's almost like a, um, a, a, well, how to put it, right? It's a, it's a greatly reduced or diminished heavens that we, that we look up at, uh, at night, right? Um, and I was reminded of uh, you know, this famous instance back in the 1970s where there was a, a major blackout in New York City knocking out power. Tim, you may remember this. Um, knocking out power to the um, majority of the city so that people were able to see the, the Milky Way appear above them. Uh, and, and people started calling 9-11, because, or 9-11, 911, uh, because they didn't know what it was. And so there are all these calls about this strange phenomena in the sky that was all of a sudden apparent. Um, and it was just the Milky Way. Uh, but they'd never seen it, right? And I, you know, I've never actually, now that I think about it, I can only think of a couple of moments where I've only been in a place dark enough to very, very faintly begin to maybe see where that might appear in the sky. Um, so all of that is, is again, to kind of um, suggest the, this, this way in which here place, right? Now, you know, the stars, in a sense, are, are not a place we inhabit, but we can be in places where they manifest themselves but in the human built environment, the, that becomes harder and harder to do. Um, and that's just one way, I think, one way in which we have constructed our places in such a way that we have perhaps made it harder to hear one of the ways, one of the chief ways through which God has revealed himself to mankind throughout history. Um, and so it's always, you know, as I've thought about this, it's always seemed to me that, yes, you know, no wonder we are less likely um, you know, to believe in God when we have sealed ourselves off from one critical way through which he has made himself known to us, right? In other words, that the trajectory of secularization overlaps the trajectory of, of an increasingly human-built environment. So that, that spectrum from the human-built to the natural and it's not just to cast aspersions upon the human-built world. You know, obviously we were called to build a world. Uh, the trajectory of scripture runs from a garden to a city, right? So the garden in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and the uh, New Jerusalem, which descends in the closing chapters of Revelation. So the city is a human-built environment, right? Um, but one that incorporates the garden in interesting ways. It does not overthrow the garden, but incorporates it. So in John's vision, you remember that he sees the tree of life and the river that runs through the garden, um, or excuse me, through the city, the New, New Jerusalem. But in any case, so it's not to say that the human-built environment is bad and the natural is good, 
Rather, it's to say that there are different ways that we relate and there are certain shapes that the human built environment can take, which may be bad um, or may have some negative consequences to them. But as we think about place, the way that we relate to these seems to me to, to be different. So if I'm in a more natural environment, that calls forth from me a different mode of relation. And I think that's where um, the idea that we talked about a couple of weeks ago of sort of being prepared to receive the world as a gift seems most to apply. Um, and what is called forth from me is attentiveness and care. Um, and whereas if I am in a more human built environment, um, something, you know, attentiveness is called for in a different sort of way. Um, I need to learn to navigate those spaces a little bit differently. Uh, there's, there's, in other words, there's a way of, of feeling at home, if you will, in a more natural environment. It seems to me that there's a, there are other ways of feeling at home in a more human-built environment. Uh, so that was one spectrum that I thought would be useful to sort of highlight. To, to back up, because I segue to that from our conversation about um, sort of these interesting sort of spiritual parallels um, to our talk about virtual places. but. Uh, one other thing I wanted to highlight is that attention to, to place can teach us something about the, the, the mind generally, right? And so um, in, in, in post-Enlightenment Western philosophy, there's this, or at least initially, there was this very pronounced object-subject dualism, right? There is me, a mind and the world out there, and the two things were very uh, different sorts of realities. Uh, and so we even, um, well, so, so the object and the subject were, were distinguished from each other as if there were, there were no relation between the two. And so then we have questions about if you cut off the subjectivity, the mind altogether from, from the objective world, you get into these weird sort of epistemological questions about whether the mind is perceiving reality correctly. Um, can we trust our senses? Um, but one interesting thing about attention to place, I think, is that it begins to disclose to us two things. Um, one, that our experience of the objective world is always to some degree subjective. So I'm thinking of cases here where when we come to a place that is uh, a repository of memories, the reality of that place is a, it emerges out of the fusion of my subjective experience and the objective reality, right? So the, 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 the full reality of that place, which is not reducible to its material qualities, is a product of the fusion of of subjective and objective experience, rather than these two things sort of existing apart from one another, right? So when I go to a place that is freighted with memories, when I if if I were to try to just perceive the place as an object, all I could say about it is that there are these um, artifacts in it that I can measure and weigh and locate uh, in, in some sort of, you know, uh, Cartesian uh, geometric way. But that's not the fullness of the reality of that place, right? To the degree that the place also evokes my memories, 
the fullness of the place involves my subjectivity. And then the other dimension of that, so it is not just that I, and I'm not just imposing memories, but rather the place is soliciting from me a subjective response, right? So again, the point here is that experience is not contained in here, right? Experience is a, almost what we sometimes think of as a, an epiphenomena of, of the interaction of place and mind. Right, in, to the degree that place in, invokes the mind, and the mind can transform a place, and so that our experience always happens at, at the point where, where objective reality and subjective experience meet together, rather than those two things being um, sealed off from one another. And so I think that's a that's a, maybe a little bit more of an abstract and slightly sort of philosophical point to to make, but that was an important point. Uh, to register as well um, with regards to what we learn about ourselves when we s consider how it is that we think about place. Right? So our, it's almost like a kind of meta-reflection on our thinking about place that generates this observation about how our minds work. Does that make sense? Uh, are there any questions or, or comments on that? Also, let me, because I, oh yeah, well I'm glad I checked. We just have a couple of minutes here. Um, the other two sort of dynamics that I was going to very, uh, very briefly mention them here um, is this language of place and space. That what in the way it's usually been used is to suggest that place is the pure place as a spectrum, right? So some place, um, a location becomes merely a place to the degree that it has no distinctiveness, right? To the degree that it is. Um, devoid of particularity um, and then it becomes uh, or excuse me that's on the space side it becomes a place to the degree that it becomes meaningful to us and so that again that sort of suggests that we impart to to place something right we a place takes on the its own character to the degree that we have a history with it and that its particularity begins to emerge for us there's a depth that arises from the place and so it ceases to be merely a space that we traverse and rather a, a space that we inhabit and so these are interesting different ways of talking about how we you know live in a place or how what kind of being we are, are experiencing in a place and inhabiting you know i think suggests something a little bit deeper more pronounced or um you know yvonne illich would use the word dwelling Right, that there's there are different modes of experience of place, and one of them is to dwell in a place, which is different than simply um, passing through a place, right? Or, or um, experiencing a place is just a, um, a a space that we cross. And then the last one, and and I'll, I'll kind of leave it with this: is is this interaction between the personal and the social? Um, you know, the, the, that case of that personal religious experience that happens in isolation is almost like the, um, the, the end of the spectrum on the personal side where place takes on very, very personal significance. But then it also has social consequences. Um, and, you know, maybe next week I can talk about, well, yeah, I'll, just, I'll just let that be um, and not push this. But, um, and I'll leave you with two questions. And, and this we can maybe pick up next week, our last week. And the questions I was going to ask was, is this, you know, what do we need, 
what do we require of a place and what does place require of us right and so it, it's a way of, of, of getting at this question of the, the well-ordered relationship that we might achieve to place as human beings and so on the one hand we ask what is it that I as a human being need from a place but then the flip side of that of course is that is that going back to this object-subject duality, right, that they, they actually depend on one another, we also need to ask, what does the place require of us, right? How does it solicit us, invite us? What responsibilities does it, re you know, require that we take up um, in order then for, for place to uh, disclose itself to us or for us to get what we need from it? So maybe think about those things uh, over the course of the week. Um, and we'll come back and maybe talk about that at the beginning of next week, and then we'll uh, we'll break for the day today. Okay. Any final thoughts or comments? And feel free to log off as you need to. But if anybody has any kind of comments or questions, I can. Yeah, it's kind of not super important, but in terms of like linguistically, right? Space, like obviously, like there's space all around us, but like it's also like great unknown out there. Yeah. With nothing in it. Mm-hmm like the dark space above the earth it's like have you you know if that's like is that very connected to how we tend to emphasize place versus space yeah i mean i think that that how that at least sort of supplies us a, a case in point of, of space right so if we imagine sort of floating out in space um with no, nothing right no no there's nothing about that that can help us distinguish. So if we're, you know, we're floating sort of out in space and we float, uh, you know, a thousand miles, will there be any difference between those two points, right? And so it is, almost, it's almost like, a, not unlike a kind of, you know, I think of, uh, you know, geez, I'm not much of a Trekkie, right? But um, in the, you know, Star Trek Next Generation that introduces sort of holodeck, right? Where you enter in and it creates, but whenever the programs are stopped, you're just in this, um, you know, they depicted it as a kind of, um, um, a kind of graph almost, right? You just have graph paper all around you, but an emptiness, right? And so that's, yeah, I think space, both uh, up there in that kind of vacuous, empty sense suggests the kind of space that, we're, that I'm suggesting here, right? Where nothing stands out, you can't orient yourself. Um, there's not even an up or a down necessarily, or a left or a right. You know, those those nothing can give you a uh, an anchor so that you can even identify those um, that that kind of directionality. Um, and then there is another interesting dimension to this, which is that we do, we haven't always thought of space in that way, um, and so that's a very modern way of conceiving of the heavens, right? So notice the difference, right, between saying the heavens. And space, you know, they arise out of different conceptions of of the way that the universe is organized, um, and so that even that itself, I think, is is worth noting. But that's you know longer conversation, obviously. But yeah, any other thoughts, questions, comments? All right, great. So. We'll see you Look and uh, next week. Yeah, we'll see you next week. Yeah. All right. Bye, y'all. Ciao. See you.